So he institutes the Lord's Supper in Matthew uh, 26, 26 through 30, and also in Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. Um, but I wanted to spend some time maybe opening that up, hopefully not too, too long. Um, and maybe, you know, just a couple hours we'll get through these verses. And, um, but let me read to us and seek the Lord's face. Would you stand as I read Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the, the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And when he had, given, had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out. To the Mount of Olives. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you. We thank you that you have provided the balm in Gilead, the, the blood of Christ. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins through his blood that you've lavished on us according to your grace. We can know today. We can know today that we are forgiven, that we are free, that the shackles of sin have been melted by the love of God in Christ. Oh Lord, would you come to the sin-sick soul, one who is burdened and overwhelmed, and would they find respite at your invitation, Lord Jesus, to come. Would you build your people who trust you? Would they find new vigor and new life as they spiritually feast on Jesus? Would you sustain us and keep us that we are kept by your power through faith, as Peter says. But Lord, we know right now we can't do this on our own. And we know right now that our adversary is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that, Lord, he wants nothing else than to scramble your word as it lands. And so would you clear a flight plan that your word might land in our minds and in our hearts, transfer to our wills, that we would be transformed by your power through your word. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, would you speak? Would we see the boldness of the request that you would speak to us and yet the promise that you will? So help us to hear. Help us to listen. Speak, O oh Lord. Speak, Father. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, the Lord's Supper is one of two 
ordinances. Some other branches, our brothers and sisters, call them sacraments. Um, We call them ordinances because they're done in obedience that Jesus has instituted these things and we obey Christ in that way. Uh, I'm not going to fight over it. But what I want to say is that there's only two. The Roman Catholic Church would tell you that there's seven, uh, but there's only two. Um, We believe in the Bible. Uh, Let's let's not go down that road, sorry. Um, But throughout the history of the church, the Lord's Supper, I say throughout the history of the church, a few hundred years into the history of the church, the Lord's Supper became uh, a fraught with controversy. And a few hundred years later, like 600, 6th century-ish, 7th century-ish, weird things started to come into People, the church's teaching and the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And if you're from a tradition, you might call it the, uh, you might call it communion. That's cool. You might call it the Eucharist. Uh, and if you call it the Mass, then we need to have some, that's a problem. Um, but through, throughout the, the history of the church from the 600s, 700s on, there was controversy around it. And to the point that it came to a head during the Reformation. The Reformation that uh, was the Protestant Reformation, but our Baptist forebears find our theological rooting there. Don't fall into the landmarkian idea that Baptists have somehow uh, gone through history. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then don't worry about it. Um, but, but that we find our theological heritage there that our, the, the, the Baptists that came over uh, from the old world to the new world find their theological heritage from the fountain of the Reformation. And so in the Reformation there, there arose within the Protestants, I'm not going to get into the Roman Catholic idea of the Mass, which is um, a, 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 in, in essence a re-crucifixion of Jesus. It is a sacrificial thing, and in that way it is um, uh, not to be ungracious, but it's idolatrous and, um, and problematic. But within the, the Protestant traditions, there arose uh, different players who believed different things. And if I can paint the picture for you quickly, I know you're not in church history, but you're a part of the church and this is your family history. Okay? Uh, so within the, within the Protestant church, there arose uh, Martin Luther. Everybody knows of Martin Luther, nailed the 95 Theses. He, uh, that's where the Lutheran church gets its name, even though it has uh, in many ways departed some Quadrants of it have departed from Martin Luther's teaching. Uh, and then on the other side of it, there would be a guy named Holdrick Zwingli. If you want to look, sound fancy at, uh, at a dinner party, drop Zwingli. Z-W-I-N-G-L-I. It's awesome. So Martin Luther's in Germany. Zwingli is in Zurich, Switzerland. Martin Luther takes the idea of the Catholic Mass with, with transubstantiation. There's going to be big words. We're going to go somewhere quickly. Okay, so big words. Transubstantiation, which is the, the Catholic idea, Roman Catholic idea of the Lord's Supper, teaches that the actual uh, elements, what they call accidents, the, the, the bread and the wine, actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus. Transubstantiation, that they're, they're transformed into actual physical body and blood. And because it's the actual physical body and blood, then all of it has to be consumed. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, rituals and things surrounding it to protect it. Uh, and it got, it got so bad in the middle, 
medieval times that, that thieves would come and steal the host, steal the bread, steal the wine, and go do black mass with it because they thought there was somehow power within the sacrament, that there was something within it that transformed people. So that if you were to part, and this is why, and I'm not trying to chase this, but I feel like nobody, we don't, we're kind of ignorant of it. We need, to, we need some information about it. So that in transubstantiation, the actual substance, easy way to remember it, transubstantiation. So the actual substance is transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. And so that if you were to partake of the body and blood of Jesus, something because of the nature of the elements, something would transform in you physically and therefore spiritually. Right? And that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Apostle Paul says. Uh, and in fact, again, that is, uh, and, I'm, and I'm trying to be gracious, but it is, uh, it, it, can, it can be idolatrous and it can be, abs- frankly, blasphemous. Uh, that the, the Roman Catholic Mass where they are basically re-crucifying Jesus every, uh, every week. And I have Catholic friends that, are, that might give me a hard time. And so I, I don't mean that ungraciously, but I mean that in truth and love. Um, so Martin Luther kind of ping-ponged off that and said, no, transubstantiation isn't right. Uh, but I'm not going to go so far as Zwingli, but I'm going to say it's consubstantiation. You guys tracking so far? We're going to get t-shirts made. Um, consubstantiation simply means that Jesus's actual body and actually actual blood isn't in the elements, but it's all around the elements. He's above and beside and under the elements. I'm not going to parse out like what exactly that mean, meant to Luther and following Lutherans, but the same principle in the sense that if you partake the sacrament because of the nature of the sacrament, whether you have faith or not, something happens to you because of the nature of the bread and the wine or juice. We use juice. So Luther is, is over here with consubstantiation saying the body and the blood of Jesus are all around the elements. Over here is a position with Zwingli that's going to sound much more familiar to you. Uh, Zwingli taught that what we do at the Lord's Supper is simply a memorial. It's simply a remembrance. There's, there's no spiritual efficacy of it, but only as people remember what Jesus did on the cross and remember what he did at the empty tomb and remember that he's returning. It's only a remembrance. And so, in fact, this is what really blew up, almost blew up the Protestant Reformation was the war not literal, between Luther and Zwingli, who both arrived to Reformation ideas of justification by faith alone at a similar point in time. Zwingli arrived there independently of Luther. It's really awesome to think how God had risen up people who began to read the Bible, see the Bible, and see the truth in it all at the same time across Europe. So they, they, they actually meet at some point. And if you know anything about Martin Luther and you know anything about Zwingli is that they were very, uh, let's say that they weren't easily reconcilable figures. You had very stubborn, hard personalities. And, uh, and there's at one point where they're arguing about the Lord's Supper. I think it's at the Colloquy of Marburg, but don't quote me. Uh, but that they're, they're arguing about the Lord's Supper and Luther gets to the point where he, he either writes it or he carves it on the table. This is my body. And that kind of ends the, the discussion where he's carving it on the table. Uh, and so they go their different ways. 
And it seems like the burgeoning Protestant church that has broken away from the Roman Catholic church, they can't agree on the Lord's Supper and they can't get along regardless. And so they're going in two different ways. Well, Zwingli doesn't last long. Um, he's actually, he dies in battle. Uh, he go, this, is, this is Zwingli. He goes to battle with a double-bit axe. Um, but he was so hated by the Catholics that we don't know where he was buried because he died in battle and they cut up his body and they mailed it across the, the Swiss cantons. It's a different age, okay? And you're thinking, so what? Well, it matters what you think about the Lord's Supper. It matters what you think about what is going to happen. And I say these things because it has been of serious import to the Christian church throughout its history. Throughout our history. Protestants, Catholics, Baptists. And Baptists, we are traditionally a mixed bag. I don't know of any Baptists that go the Lutheran route. um, But I know many Baptists go the memorial route. And what I want to put before you is a... Is a via media. There's a middle way between the two. And a middle way between the two that was, if we're talking about reformers, um, it was the path was blazed by a guy named Martin Bucer, or Bucer, B U C E R. And he was a pastor in Strasbourg, and he has a more famous disciple underneath him uh, named John Calvin. Now, John Calvin has kind of demified some regions, and that's not mine. I'm not really getting off on Calvin this morning. Um, but Bootser gave it to Calvin, and it was a, this, this idea of the spiritual presence of Jesus. So there's, if you have Lutheran, Luther over here, consubstantiation, and over here you have Zwingli and Mere Memorial, and in the middle you have spiritual presence of Bootser and Calvin. And traditionally Baptists of all different stripes, have landed on one of those two categories or somewhere in there. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you that... I'm not, I'm not going to give you a hard time wherever you land in here. I'm just saying traditionally Baptists have fallen somewhere between spiritual presence and mere memorial. But when you begin to see the, the Lord's Supper as a mere memorial, then you have a greater freedom to treat it um, lightly. And what I mean by this is that if you, if you were paying attention at the beginning of COVID... When the shutdowns and everything happened, you might have seen several churches that were doing the Lord's Supper and they were doing it digitally. And I'm not going to chase that necessarily, Um, but they simply told people to use whatever you had at home. And so you had pictures of people doing the Lord's Supper with Doritos and Mountain Dew uh, or Cheetos or uh, Lay's or, you know, Wonder Bread, whatever uh, that they were doing at home and they're doing it digitally. Uh, And I think you only arrive at that. By believing that it's just a remembrance. Um, that when you, when you begin to see that the... Which I will argue, and I think is actually the case, is that there, this, the, this presence of the Lord is, is present spiritually as God's people take it in faith. Um, then you, we treat the this, this supper with a reverence, but not a worship. Um, Roman Catholic Catholicism kind of falls into worship, where you are venerating the elements. They're being held up. Right? The cup is held up and the bread is held up and they're, they're venerating the elements. Um, and we want to venerate Jesus as this points us to him. So there is remembrance, um, but there's also presence. I'm going to give you a quote from a theologian. As the life into which 
God has regenerated us. God has brought us into new life is spiritual. So the food for preserving and confirming us in it must also be spiritual. What does that mean? That God has brought us into new life. If you are in Jesus, he has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of of his beloved son. He's brought you into new life. And so, and that is a spiritual life. You were once spiritually dead, even though your heart was beating. And now in Jesus, you've been brought to spiritual life. It is only in Jesus that we come to spiritual life. He's brought you to the spiritual life. And now your spiritual life is sustained not by physical food, but by spiritual food, if you will. That we intake what God gives us for the sustaining of spiritual life. So we intake what? We intake the Word of God. We intake prayer. or out, Exert prayer. How do you want to say that? We intake the fellowship of the saints. Obedience. That these are, but primarily the Word of God and prayer. That we, we participate in these things and they sustain by God's power, by God's grace. They sustain us. And so if you're wondering, why is my spiritual life in shambles? Why do I feel like a dried up grape that looks like a raisin? Or maybe if you're bigger, you look like a dried up plum that's a prune. Why is, why is that? Well, are you, are you in the Bible? Are you in prayer? Are you amongst God's people? That these are avenues that God has appointed by which... That through which we are sustained and, as, as this quote says, confirmed. That our faith is built in such ways. And so, even though, right, you're not saved because you read the Bible. You're not saved because you pray. You're not saved because you go to church. Those are great ways or the ways that God has given for you to be confirmed in the faith. To have assurance and to grow and to not be a shriveled up prune, but to be vibrant in your spiritual life. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who who don't feel as though God is is nearby or they don't feel anything in their spiritual life, this, this pursuit of feeling. And they haven't been to church in six months. They haven't read their Bible in six weeks and they haven't prayed in six days. And they're wondering, what's wrong? If I'm not saved by those things, they must not be important. This is this reductio ad absurdum that our culture has fallen for. We, we fall for the reducing to the absurd. If we're not saved by it, it must not be important. Well, just because you're not saved by, by reading your Bible, it doesn't mean that it's not important. So, when we come to the Lord's Supper, in the Word of God preserved for us and given to us, what does Jesus say? What, this is Thursday of Passion Week, Right? Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is the night he is betrayed. In a little while, Judas is going to depart. He's going to arrange things with the high priests and their guard. And they're going to set Jesus up. They're going to fall upon him uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane after he prays later on in the chapter. And so this is the last, not just the last supper. I mean, it's the last supper. This is not just the Lord's Supper. It's the last one. For a while, we see and while they were eating, and so Jesus does something at the, at the tail end of the Passover. At the tail end of the Passover, Jesus, uh, which is the, this Jewish feast that they're participating in, that remembers God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt, 
through the Red Sea at the Exodus. So at the end of it, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to do something else. That normally during the Passover, there would be the bread of affliction that would uh, unite the people who are participating in the Passover. It would be a symbol by which they are, they are participating in the suffering of the people who were in the wilderness. It was called the bread of affliction. But instead of lifting up, demonstrating the bread of affliction, Jesus says something else. He said, took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And said, take, eat, this is my body. This isn't the bread of the affliction, of affliction. This is my body. If you were looking at this in Greek, which I don't expect you will, but if you want to, um, all of the words hang on one word. All of the verbs are participles. They're ing words, except for one in verse 26. I'll take that two. Uh, the word he broke. And he said, those two verbs are the emphasis of verse 26. So what does that mean? That if we're going to round this out into how we are spiritually sustained, that Jesus is about to leave his disciples. And one of the ways, right, they're going to get the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in a powerful new way. But one of the ways that they are to be sustained is by his body broken. And by what he says, he takes the bread and he breaks it. Take, eat, this is my body. The only way disciples of Jesus Christ partake in his body is if his body is broken. The only way that the benefits of Jesus are extended to the disciples and to us, the only way that they're extended to us is if his body is broken. You remember where he, at the, at the, the miracle where he feeds the thousands and thousands. He does, does it a couple times in the Gospels. But he takes the bread and he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it and he breaks it. And as he breaks it, he extends it. And as he extends it, it feeds. What looks like not enough proves to be more than enough as they fill up baskets. The same is true with his body. How in the world, how in the world does a crucified carpenter... Over 2,000 years ago, how does that, what does that mean for me? His body was broken and it's extended to you. That you might receive what He gives you in faith. I'm not talking. I'm not saying that, that the little wafer that's in that cup in your pew is transformed into the body of Christ. But I'm saying as you partake it in a moment, you think that Jesus has extended the benefits of His death to you to be received by faith. That the supper is only worthwhile to you if you receive it in faith. The only way you're going to be spiritually nourished, either by the Word of God or in prayer or by the Lord's Supper, the only way you're going to be spiritually nourished is if you believe. And if you don't believe and you continue to partake in it, you're not eating life, you're eating death. You're partaking in damnation. Because you're saying Jesus is crucified, but I don't believe it. But that's not just true at the Lord's Supper. That's true every Sunday as you hear the gospel preached. Paul says it to the Corinthians that our message is either a message from life to life or it's a, the aroma of death to death. That if we continue to, to put on the charade, we continue to put on the mask. Not literally, but it's a good visit, you know visible symbol 
continue to put on the show that we're going to do the religious things without actually trusting Jesus to save us and believing that he's the son of God who has died in our place, who rose three days later. If I continue to partake in those things, I'm actually, while not having faith, I'm actually making my position worse. Do you understand? If you you partake of the Lord's Supper and you do not believe in Jesus, you are eating death. If you partake in hearing the gospel preached and shared to you and you refuse to believe it, you are listening and smelling the spiritual aroma of your eternal death. Jesus broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He says, take, eat, this is my body. This is very much like John chapter 6. Where all of his disciples leave where he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The end of John chapter 6. But he broke and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And his body is broken for whoever will come and eat of it. His body is broken for whoever will come to Christ in faith. He gives his life away willingly. Remember, it's not taken from him. He lays it down of his own accord and that he might take it up later. He's the one who's in control. Death submits to him and yet he submits to death for our sake. So that whoever would trust in Him, who would believe and say, God, You have sent Your Son, Jesus. I cannot save myself. If I am not in Christ, I am in a perilous position. But it's extended. The benefits of Jesus only extend through the death of Jesus. So if you wonder, can I be saved? Jesus has died. Please see the connection. Take, eat, this is my body. Partake of Jesus in faith before you partake of the supper in faith. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. Do you see the imperatives of Jesus to us? Take it, eat it, drink it. And what you're doing as we take the Lord's Supper together, it is, a, it is a visible sermon where you're preaching to yourself and to one another that our hope and our new life is in Christ and Christ alone. That He gave. He gave them the cup. He gives of His blood. He pours out freely for us. Drink from it, all of you. Drink from it, all of you. Have you drunk in Jesus by faith? Have you believed upon His name? Have you looked at what He did on the cross and said, Yes, Lord, that's for me. Where His blood ran rivulets into Calvary's hill, His blood runs for me. This is my blood, He says in verse 28 of the covenant. And y'all, this is my blood of the covenant. Harken back with me weeks and weeks and weeks ago where we read Genesis together. We read Genesis chapter 15. 
Genesis chapter 15 is the great, it's a great chapter, but um, Abraham believed, verse 6, Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. And that God makes a covenant with Abraham. Do you remember this scene? Abraham comes and he has the animals, the sacrificial animals, and he cuts them in two and he lays them cleaved in two there. And a smoking pot and fire come through the pieces. And God cuts a covenant with Abraham where the superior makes a covenant, an agreement, a contract with the inferior. And normally, the lesser would walk through the pieces saying, if I don't live up to the piece, the, my part of the covenant, let this happen to me. But in Genesis chapter 15, it's not Abraham who walks through the pieces, but it's the, the imagery representing God himself. So God's saying, if I don't keep up my end of the covenant, let this happen to me. And what's so profound about what Jesus does? He says, this is my blood of the covenant. It is the new covenant, but it is built upon the old. And he says, not only do I take up my part, but I take up your part as well, where you have not lived up to the covenant. The covenant is cut and it's established by the sacrifice of Jesus. One writer says a covenant is a bond sealed in blood. And the new covenant is sealed in Christ's blood. So that means the promises that are extended there are sure and they are steadfast. That when God says, I will forgive, the wounds of Christ say it's true. You cannot doubt the forgiveness of God because Christ has died. You can't deny its reality and you can't deny your need of forgiveness. But it is only by Christ's blood that for the many that we have forgiveness of sins. So that all of the benefits of Christ Or in this covenant agreement where he says, if you are in Jesus, I'm going to give you everything. You're going to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. In Christ. In Christ we have calling. In Christ we have justification where we're made righteous before God. It's in Jesus that we're made holy, that we're called All of us, if you're in Jesus, I don't care where you've been and what you've done, but if you call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you are a holy one to God. You're a saint. And it's in Christ alone. It's in Christ alone that we have glory waiting for us. It's in Christ. And His blood testifies to this. And as you drink it, you drink that that grape juice. It might be bitter, it might be sour, it might be sweet. Whatever, but taste the forgiveness That all of the benefits of of Christ are yours because of Christ. The position of Christ before God as approved and accepted before the Father is proven true because He has bled for you. Our weakness is swallowed up in Him. Our sin is taken upon Him. Our brokenness is laid upon Him. Him, our heavy load and burden is laid at His feet. We can be free and whole. I don't know your past. 
I know mine. And we don't have to walk around whipping ourselves for the ways that we've fallen and the ways that we've failed and the ways that we continue to struggle. We don't do penance because Christ has died. We do repentance where we abandon ourselves and we run to what God has done for us in Jesus. That's good news. That's gospel news. And it's almost the grace of God. It's almost so scandalous to believe it. You're saying, I just need to come to Jesus? I'm not saying your sin's not going to have consequences in this life, but you will be forgiven. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And this free offer of the gospel is built upon the death of Jesus. For God demonstrates His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He extends His life to us. Isaiah talks about God as as one who is extending His arms to a rebellious people. The gospel is extended because Christ has died. But notice verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until... If that's in your Bible, you circle it. Until... That the, that the Lord's Supper is more than simply a memory. Because it has something that points backwards, it points presently, and it points future. Let me show you what I mean. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew. Drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So it points backwards, the Lord's Supper that we are about to partake in in just a few moments, it points backwards as remembering the actual historic events of Jesus of Nazareth who lived a sinless life, did all the miracles and all the teaching, but He died upon the tree at Golgotha, was really dead, was really buried, was sealed in a tomb until Sunday, and He rose victorious from the grave. That's historical facts. The tomb is empty. And whether you are a Christian, an atheist, or anybody else, you have some computing worldview, everyone has to reckon with the fact that the tomb is empty. And I'm going to say all of the other alternatives I've heard just don't quite make sense. So it points back, but it points presently now to the priestly work of Jesus. That Jesus right now is over and over again in the New Testament. Romans 8, for for instance... That He is interceding for us. That Jesus' priestly work continues. He's priestly in that He dies for us. He's the sacrifice for our sins. But now, presently, just... Sometimes I feel like my head's going to explode. Like, right now, Jesus is at the throne. And He's laying us at the Father's feet. And as He does so, He says, look at my wounds. Look at my side. He's there in glory, scarred for us. One of my professors in seminary, he wrote, he's written like 1,900 books, and it's not fair, he's so smart. But, but he wrote this, he said, Christ pleads for our forgiveness. He pleads for our forgiveness by presenting His broken body and poured out blood to the Father. As the propitiation for our sin. He pleads. 
now. He pleads presently. Robert Murray McShane, who's pretty great, um, Scottish pastor in the 1800s, but that doesn't matter. But he said, if I could hear, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, what kind of courage would I have? What kind of perseverance might I have in this life? What kind of spiritual focus might I have if I heard Jesus praying in the next room? And then he says something to the effect that the distance makes no difference. Christ prays for me still. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is presently, current, present tense, is the Lamb of God. He is our high priest who offers a better sacrifice, who is interceding. He's praying for us now. But it also, it also points forward. And Jesus says, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day. How many letters is that? Seven letters? Seven letters fraught with meaning that day. There is going to be that day that as we feast in faith today through the Lord's Supper on Jesus, it will be that day. It will be that day when we see our Master's face. When we sit, Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That is the church. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9 of Revelation 19. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Our supper today will have its consummation. Where we sit at the marriage feast as part of the bride of Jesus. And just... just Cook on it for just a second. So much as we can dream it up. So we can imagine it. We're going to look to our left and to our right. We're going to see Blaney folks. We're going to look across the way. We're going to see family who have died in the Lord ahead of us and behind us. Isn't that a thought? And then we're going to look across how big this table is. My father's house are many mansions. There are many dwelling places. This is a huge table. And you're going to look across and you're going to see. You're going to see some Chinese. You're going to see some Africans. And by the grace of God, by him blessing what Kevin and Lisa Abbott are doing, we're going to see some Mongolians. Koreans and. 
Saudi Arabians and Persians, Iranians. We're going to look across and it's just going to be this feast. And so we're reminded today. We're reminded as we partake the supper. That our union to God is in Christ alone. But also. Our union to one another. Is in Christ alone. And you might not think much of this wafer and juice. I promise you it's probably not going to taste great. But. In faith it will be sweet as you think. One day. I'm going to take this with Jesus and all his saints. If you don't know the Lord, what better day? His body has been broken. His love is extended. And if you would take him, if you would leave your sin, your sin condemns you. You're condemned before the Lord if you don't know Jesus. But if you are in Him, you have new life and forgiveness. You can trust Him and be made new. Wherever you are. Wherever you are. Let's pray. God, our words are insufficient to describe the beauty of the gospel. But I pray, O Lord, that you would make this clear. You would make this clear to us. That our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Would we come as your sheep to your pasture to partake in Jesus afresh and anew, to remember? but to be built and confirmed and to hope for that day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.